From 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Lake Effect. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Today's show is all about music. First, we'll hear from Milwaukee hip-hop and rap artists as they celebrate 50 years of the art form. Then we'll learn all about Milwaukee's largest hip-hop collection. We don't have a hip-hop museum in Milwaukee, so I'm looking forward to bringing people into this space so we can create a larger museum for positive interactions in Milwaukee. Plus, hear music from Milwaukee's own sister duo, Reina, in the latest episode of Live at Lake Effect. Even when I sing, like when we do acoustic shows, I get more into it emotionally. Like it just makes me feel the song a lot more than when I'm doing a full band show. All that's coming up on Lake Effect, but first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Thanks for joining us. Latching on to the city's breakdancing and skate scenes in the late 70s and early 80s, hip-hop has shaped the city just as it has shaped culture worldwide. Earlier this month was the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, and the city of Milwaukee has proclaimed this week to be Hip-Hop Week. Lake Effect Sam Woods spoke with Milwaukee rappers and artists from the 1980s to today about how the city has influenced their art and how hip-hop has influenced them. It's August 11, 1973. You just arrived at a back-to-school party in the Bronx, and you hear something like this. This is DJ Cool Hurt. This is going out to my man over in Japan. Fifty years later, the party you're at is recognized as the birth of hip-hop, and the extended instrumental you're hearing will provide the blueprint for a culture-defining art and a multi-billion dollar industry. From this point, hip-hop would grow from an offshoot of disco to its ubiquitous place in our culture today. But today, I'm not going to tell you the whole story of hip-hop. I know my limits as a journalist, and I know that I cannot condense 50 years of culture into a single segment. It's also not the complete story of Milwaukee hip-hop, for the same reason. But it is a sample of how Milwaukee has grown up with hip-hop, made it its own, and taken it worldwide, on stages, in literature, and even aquaponics. Yes, you heard that right. Hip-hop and aquaponics. We'll get back to that connection. We start our story in the late 1970s, when Tuan Mack, who now is an active rapper making adult contemporary hip-hop, was growing up as a kid in Milwaukee and was watching as hip-hop in its infancy was starting to take hold and was latching on to Milwaukee's local breakdancing and skate cultures as it got started. When I came back to Milwaukee, Milwaukee was like a, had a, like a drill team scene. It wasn't, a, it wasn't, it was still um, finding its way in terms of hip-hop. And so, and then it, there was also a big gang culture in Milwaukee around 1981, 1982. So I lived in a neighborhood uh, right off of Capitol, 24th and Capitol, uh, which is 53206, which is the most incarcerated zip code for black men per capita in the United States, has been for the longest time. So at that time, it was still a familial atmosphere from a musical standpoint. Um, you had rappers, you had rap groups popping up here and there, but Doc B and I, we were like, the first um, individuals to do hip-hop at a talent show in Milwaukee at Vincent High School, to be exact, and to win. You know what I mean? So I was like 11 years old winning a talent show. Doc was probably like a junior in high school. So Milwaukee's hip-hop um, culture, it was starting to grow. Um, the Jerry Curl was big back then, you know what I'm saying? Um, so 
um, along with places like the, the, the Skate Palace and Johnson Skate University, there was a big uh, skate culture in Milwaukee. And so hip hop kind of started to find its way along those lines in terms of developing itself and artists starting to pop out here. So you kind of knew like hip hop could go a, a lot of different ways. It wasn't just a party atmosphere anymore. They were talking about social political issues. And so, you know, as a 12, 13 year old, I knew that this culture was going to be here for quite a long time. Early on in the 80s and the 90s, and to an extent even today, it was difficult for rappers in Milwaukee to get noticed elsewhere. The city just didn't get the attention from record execs that places on the East and the West Coast did. But this is Milwaukee, and in Milwaukee we fight, we scrap, we claw our way to our dreams, and we find a way to make them come true. Strickland is one-third of the hip-hop group EMC that formed in the late 90s. I wanted to ask Strick about his early influences in Milwaukee that helped build him up to eventually take his craft worldwide. It was a little bit um, to our disadvantage because we didn't have a lot of record execs. It was hard to kind of get signed, so I kind of had to go to New York to get that first look, but I still appreciate um, growing up in Milwaukee and being influenced by the, the music here. I was heavily influenced by a rap group out of the city named Attack, which featured speech from Arrested Development, and a friend, a really, really good friend of mine who turned out to be my college roommate, his name was Ty Whitaker, a.k.a. T.A. The Wiz. Uh, rest in peace to him. He was tragically murdered with his father at their home, and he was taken off the earth too early, but he was uh, probably one of the first rappers that I looked up to in the city, as well as speech. And uh, so that's, what's, that's what really influenced uh, my skill level and my art back then, just trying to be on that level as this rap group that was out. They, they put vinyl out back then. I remember that was the first time I seen somebody uh, get some vinyl pressed up. Um, and then later on, it was Baby Drew and Cuckoo Cal, uh, Mr. Do It To Death. All these guys influenced me heavy. And being in a group with Words and Ace, those guys are from the East Coast. Me being from the Midwest, I think it kind of it kind of helped me in a way because my the way I talk the way my kind of like my twang on the lyrics kind of set me apart from them because it was hard keeping up with them lyrically so I needed I needed a little something to to be on my side so I think when my voice came in with the with the Midwest slang and twang I think that kind of set me apart and that helped me kind of keep up with these guys because we're kind of in the middle so. West Coast rappers were big here, East Coast rappers, down South rappers, so we kind of like the breadbasket, soaking up all of that stuff. I had a good life here in Milwaukee, um, although, you know, record-wise, record exec-wise, we didn't have the attention, but I uh, was definitely influenced by, by being from Milwaukee. The other current members of EMC, the group Strickland is in, are Wordsworth and Master Ace. And Wordsworth was actually in Milwaukee for the 50th anniversary of hip-hop to teach a workshop on storytelling and then perform a set at True School Summer Park Jam. Originally from Brooklyn, and now a middle school teacher in Florida, he's one of the rap OGs, one of those guys who has seen it all. He's been there in the 1980s, when his older sister was introducing him to his early influences like Run DMC. He was there in the 1990s, when he was featuring on albums by groups like A Tribe Called Quest and Blackstar. He's been there in the early 2000s, when he was hosting a hip-hop sketch series on MTV called The Lyricist Lounge Show. And he's there today when he's teaching young people how to express themselves through hip-hop or other forms of art. And as someone who has seen rap grow and change through the decades, I wanted to know from his point of view 
how the cultural acceptance of hip-hop has changed over the years. People are actually not afraid to actually ask about hip-hop. Before, it would be like, Nipsey Hussle, they're going to probably assume he's into some street stuff or gang stuff or whatever. But seeing that it's been celebrated on such a national level, Good Morning America, I think every week or every day has a new hip-hop celebration thing. Um, you know, whatever, wherever you're at, your morning shows, your late-night talk shows have celebrations. Uh, every award ceremony, what the Grammys this year did a whole thing about hip-hop, right? So the fact that um, we're... We're, we're helping, we're grasping the idea of hip-hop, but also celebrating it nationally. It's getting, it's making people less, it's making people less, um, less afraid, let's say, for the lack of better words. So years ago, the guy wouldn't ask what that picture is. Now everybody's like, they're feeling like kind of flooded with it. They can't escape yeah. it. They turn their radio on. They're like, it's even on this station. They turn on a Good Day America. It's on Good Day America. What? It's on the, it's on the view. It's on this. It's on that. And words brings up a hugely important point beyond just the art of hip hop. It's everywhere now. You can't escape it. But this is America. And when something is that big, you can be sure there are people out there who see an opportunity to make a lot of money. And Arabian Prince is a rapper who knows this well. As a member of the original lineup of NWA, Arabian Prince has walked that journey from just making music with his friends to being at the center of a multi-billion dollar industry. So I asked him what he's learned from this journey about how to capture the monetary value of your art. Yeah, so here's a crazy twist. Corporate America for years has been using hip hop and sports, corporate America, you know, whatever, television, radio, um, clothing. And just now, in the last couple of years, they are actually showing it in a forward-facing way. Because before, they would use the styles, use the music, use the culture, but not really want to embrace it too much, right? But now you see Snoop Dogg like doing Skechers commercials. I never yeah. thought I would see Snoop Dogg yeah. doing a Skechers commercial. You got Ice-T doing like car insurance commercials. So it's become like, these dudes are gangster rappers, mm -hmm. right? And now they are the faces of Fortune 500 companies. So we're getting it. I think the fact that rappers have become business people, finally, and understood their worth, you know, and the company's always understood it, but I think now the rappers understand their worth and trying to get a piece of the pie as well, whether it's, you know, pay me more, or no, nah, I'll just take a percentage, you know, because that's a smart way to go. Arabian Prince is from LA, but it turns out he also has a connection to Milwaukee. He's involved in mentoring young artists here through True School, a youth arts education organization that engages and empowers Milwaukee's youth through hip hop culture. When I teased earlier about the connection between hip hop and aquaponics, True School is at the center of that. You'll hear more about True School in a bit, but first, don't think I forgot about the South Side. Quinto Sol is a hip-hop group based on the South Side that has been active for over 20 years. Their members Scribe, El Chivo, and DJ Payback Garcia draw influences from Milwaukee, as well as Mexico and Chicago where they also have roots. I caught up quickly with Scribe after a show and asked him about his influences and how Quinto Sol reflects Milwaukee culture worldwide. I call it like our third home. First is, is where I was born, Mexico, right? Yeah. Then I moved to Chicago, Chicago's my home too. And Milwaukee is my home home, yeah, right? Because right. it's my seats out here now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pretty much we rap 
all the cities. Midwest, there's a lot to do with hip-hop. Because, you know, the East and the West, it's a mix of the Midwest, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what we do. We bring in the Midwest all over the world. Because yeah. the experiences that we got here in Milwaukee, we share it with everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's why I feel like Quinto Soul brought to, to hip-hop, the experience of the Midwest to the whole world. Sure. Through the eyes of the, an immigrant. Basically, when I see people that are that I see growing up, and then they come to see our shows. Yeah. It's all love, you know? Yeah, like you're, you're speaking from the heart, and the heart was built. The heart was built here. Right, here. right. Yeah. From the foundation that groups like Quinto Soul, Strickland, Tuan Mac, and other Milwaukee rappers have built over the years, comes a new generation. One of these rappers is Jonah Dene. Still in high school, she credits her influences from artists like Tupac, Lauryn Hill, and Lil Wayne but also just from living in a bunch of places throughout the city and from battle rapping on the school bus. On the south side, south side is, cause we, it was more so on the south and north side here is where I lived at from like my younger years until now. But like being on the south side of Milwaukee is where I've made most of my foundest in, uh, memories as a child. That's how, that's where I got into troubles and then that's where, you know, I grew from it and I began to find um, people around me, especially school. You know, that's a huge aspect I take from my environment here in the city is school, just going to public school here and, you know, just finding like-minded people who were like me, uh, people who weren't as much uh, like-minded as me, who were, but they still influenced me because they came from similar households, they came from similar struggles, they came from, you know, just having people around me that wants to pave way for themselves is everywhere here in the city, you know? Um, everywhere you go, you know? You, you don't know what you may come across yeah. here, it's always so sudden. And then another thing I'd like to add, I was doing battle rap at my old school back up in eighth grade. I had met a friend of mine at the time, and we used to ride the same bus route together, right? And you know, we would just go head to head, and I would win every time. Every You're not time. shy about it, are you? No, I can say this with the most pride. I won every time, and that definitely gave me the confidence, like, whoa. You know, I had the whole bus lit. I had the whole bus just rocking, and, you know, as soon as I would get dropped out, they'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I love that's what hip-hop is, you know, battle rap. Um, uh, storytelling, um, there's freestyle, and I definitely take heat up in battle rap as well as an influence too. So. And now, hip-hop and aquaponics. First off, aquaponics is a farming technique that uses fish poop to fertilize crops and plant life. It's an ancient practice, with indigenous Americans and Egyptians and everyone in between using the technique dating back thousands of years. But what does it have to do with hip-hop? Elijah Brown, artist named Book of Eli, is an 18-year-old breakdancer, beat engineer, and currently in the True School program, True Aquapioneers. The Aquapioneers learn about water science and agriculture by making their own water filtration systems, learning about how water is and is not cared for in our city, and devising their own education techniques to get other young people interested and involved in conservation efforts. Eli traces his own hip-hop influences to many artists, specifically name-dropping Most Def and 50 Cent. But he also credits Milwaukee institutions like True School, Trickle B Cafe, and the Sherman Phoenix for shaping his perspective. So I asked him how these influences inform his work with aquaponics. Um, so a lot of people uh, sometimes fail to understand is like our everyday life is hip hop. 
when you wake up, you eat some cereal, that's hip-hop, you know? When you take care of the earth, that's hip-hop. Hip-hop is part of war peace. It's part of love, peace, and just like happiness and family. People will fail to understand that, look, if I take care of the earth, if I take care of our water, if I take care of our source to help us make sure that we're good, make sure our plants good and everything goes, then what is that? That's hip-hop. Everything is one world, one piece. It sounds like to me is like the values that you have learned and maintained for yourself through through hip hop are showing through in, in places like aquaponics. Is that is that fair to say? Am I hearing that right? Yeah, totally, totally, totally. I you know. Uh, this is what I say to myself: How are we gonna take care of us if we don't take care of our world? You know, like as you being uh, as me being aquaponics engineer, like um, as me like growing plants from legitimately fish waste and water you know which is a big thing and they'd be like well how is that hip-hop well i mean you think of this we have plants that die all the time because we have people throwing out their trash you know littering and just really toxic chemicals but yet we're changing that we're changing for the better good we're changing we're changing the bad into the good into community you know we're bringing life instead of death and that's the whole part of hip-hop is to bring life what Eli just said sums up the messages of all my interviews. Hip-hop isn't just music. It isn't just beats. It isn't clothes. It isn't commercials. It's a way of life. The city of Milwaukee has proclaimed this week, August 21st to 27th, to be Hip-Hop Week. A week full of breakdancing, films, contests, discussions, performances, and more, all centered around hip-hop. But hearing Eli talk about how he lives hip-hop in everything he does... It's clearly more than just the music, the fashion, the movies, the performances, all of that. It's in the air we breathe. It's how you carry yourself every day. It's how you better your community. It's how you make life out of thin air. And this isn't just me saying this. Everyone I talked to spoke to this idea of living hip-hop, not just performing it. Hip-hop has just is, is been there for me. It's like a family member that just that doesn't die, that's walked, that's seen me through, through everything, bro, the good and the bad. It's, it's, it's so unexpected, and you, and you do all these things without even knowing you're doing it. it it's, it's just instilled in us. Like, words probably do something every day that he don't even realize is hip-hop, but it's hip-hop. The question is, like, when I was younger, I didn't know the difference. first person I heard that kind of clarified it for me was KRS-One, when he said, rap is something you do, hip-hop is something you live. I was like, oh, okay, that's the difference. So that's the thing about it. It's a you can do anything you want to do, right? Just because you want to be a rapper or be into sports or whatever, expand, broaden your mind, and do more because you can. Once you get into hip hop, everything that we roll and write in our music, we lived it. You know what I'm saying? Whether the grimy songs, the struggle songs, we really lived that. Breathing and eating it, <laughs> like it's something. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's definitely something that where words cannot describe and. Hip-hop is just life, really. For Lake Effects, and for Milwaukee's hip-hop culture, I'm Sam Woods. Sleeping, I could drink, I These kids know when they got gold, get melatonin, and hurt, don't it? I'm keeping cold already. Did you know you can listen to Lake Effect as a podcast? Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcast, download, and listen to us on demand. You can also follow WUWM on Instagram, where you'll find videos and pictures from news stories and Lake Effect interviews. Later in the show, we'll have our latest episode of Live at Lake Effect featuring Milwaukee's own sister pop duo, Reyna. We have never felt this comfortable being ourselves. And I think it also comes with age and 
you know, just like growing into who you really are. So I feel like we're gonna keep putting music out that is gonna be us to the core. But first, we'll visit Antonia's 365 Hip Hop Museum in Milwaukee and learn about her mission to catalyze social change. That's coming up on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is WUWM's Mayan Silver. This is my parents and by proxy my dog Hops. He's a Shetland sheepdog. And one of my absolute favorite sounds is him drinking water out of his water bowl. When he does, he has a particular pattern, like a waltz. It's a Shostakovich masterpiece of sorts. So when I hear Hops drink, I envision big ballrooms, sweeping gowns, and people twirling for days. It's a daily reminder to be a little fancy and stay hydrated. Send us your favorite sounds, along with why you love them. The instructions are at wuwm.com. Our goal is to air them on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. You're listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. One of the largest hip-hop collections in Wisconsin is right here in Milwaukee. Antonia Anderson has been a lifelong fan of hip-hop and started collecting hip-hop memorabilia in 2020. Now, Anderson has filled her apartment walls with records, listening stations, and dolls of hip-hop artists. She named her collection Antonia's 365 Hip-Hop Museum. From 1930s gospel to early 2000s hip-hop, the collection features national and local artists. Like Effects' Mallory Chang visited Anderson at the museum. So we're at the museum right now, and you've turned your apartment into a literal 365 degrees hip-hop museum. And there's so many different hip-hop artists. There's different records on the wall. You got a boombox on the corner, and there's a bunch of cases of records that uh, people can flip through. Why did you want to open up a hip-hop museum here in Milwaukee? What was your motivator to do that? Before COVID, I was going out in the community doing pop-ups at different events like True School, COA, um, wherever I could find events. And when the, you know, the city was shut down, I had my things in boxes, and I just decided to put it all out in my home. And I was just going to go for there because I didn't want myself just sitting in boxes. And as I started putting it up on the wall, that's when I got the idea of the actual museum. My collection, it really goes back, I want to say, to the 1930s, and it really um, went from spiritual to jazz to R&B and then hip-hop. So I would say from like 1930 to the 2000s. I pretty much started collecting records and cassettes like early on in 2012, but during the pandemic, I really started collecting more hip-hop items. My motivation was to encourage the students and the youth to find a way to express themselves through hip-hop, and also it helps them with their critical thinking skills. You mentioned that you wanted to make it for the young people that who come into the space. What is your goal when students walk in and see 
the 365 Hip Hop Museum. I want them to be comfortable. You know, as soon as they come in, it's a lot of exciting things for them to see. I currently work at Milwaukee Marshall High School and also work in the evening at COA after school program. So I go from the 9th through the 12th graders, and then I go work with the K3, K4, and the 1st and 2nd graders. I have a lot of on-hand interaction things like the record player. Um, I want to talk to them about the 8-track, and I also have like VCR, um, a lot of action figures and books, a lot of things that they can just go through and get that feel of the original hip-hop that really, you know, started back in the 1970s on up into 2000s. Why did you want to work with students, and why did you want to make sure that the space was open to them? Although that is a good question, I ask myself that a lot, but that's really been my career, working with students. Before Milwaukee Public School, I was working at St. Charles, and that was a residential setting for youth that were on their way to either cleaning up their act or going to Wales. So I've always been in the um, career of working with students. And it sounds like, too, like you want to work with students to make sure that they have a positive energy, they have a positive outlook. What was your motivating factor to work with students who, who were transitioning to better their life? What motivated you to, to make these spaces for students? When I was growing up, I did drop out of the ninth grade. I did return and got my GED, but I feel like, you know, the teaching and the way kids are learning is still repetitive and it's really like, not like they have a voice and are not being heard and they don't feel comfortable in speaking in, um, you know, in the school building about what's going on in their community. And me growing up feeling that, I want to come to them in a different way where they feel comfortable to share their stories or to ask me what can I do to help them get better and I'm intervention is intervene, you know, before the kids get off into drugs with the wrong crowd, um, running away from home, dropping out of school. So I want to reach them at an age where they feel that they could talk to adults because really if they talk more to adults and sometimes if we listen more, I think that would work better in their favor. So my background from really feeling like I wasn't being heard when I was young and I was wilding out to wanting to get through to the kids. Do you feel like music and hip-hop has healed or helped to heal students that you've been able to work with or who've walked through the space? And do you feel like hip-hop has healed you? Yes, I do, because I'm a, you know, I was in the era of the 1970s when the, mu the message music first came out, you know, and really they didn't want us to get positive messages in music. And I feel that hip-hop has healed me so that's why I use it to heal the younger generation. And I do believe music itself is soothing. It gets people comfortable. And yes, I um, do feel like hip hop and music heals the kids. And it gives them that outlet to be creative, to write, to use critical thinking, and just use their strengths, build up on their strengths to feel like they can do what they need to do in this life. For you, Antonio, with hip-hop, why was it so influential to you? Well, in the 1980s, I want to say probably about 86, um, 
hip-hop was really motivating, and I think for me it was a time where it really inspired me. The lyrics, the messages, that was back in the crack epidemic and drugs, and a lot of people were catching these cases and going to jail, and still they rose with these message music like they did in the 70s to inspire people and let people know what's going on, and also to give them a way to express what was going on in, with them and in their communities. And do you feel like you hold that, the message and sentiment that those artists had in the 80s and 90s here in the space? Most definitely, because they had rules, they had codes, they had the hip-hop declaration of peace. There were, you know, things to go by, and they followed those, okay? So now we're in an era where, you know, we're getting... Well, we're getting messages, but it might not be the best messages to inspire the youth to do the right thing. So I kind of just stay in that era that I can relate to. What have been some positive moments that have been sticking out to you with the space open? Well, not only have students come through, but there have been other hip-hop icons from Milwaukee, and they really like the space. They feel comfortable in the space. They see a lot of things, you know, that we could do in the space as far as getting together and building some positive outlets for Milwaukee. So this is really just the beginning. You know, I plan on doing a lot of other things here in my apartment and outside in the community, but overall it's been really receptive. I am going to be continuing to collect for Milwaukee hip-hop artists men and women, and working with them, too, so we could also just get this positive thing to continue to flourish in the community. And I do believe that hip-hop is never going to stop, so that's where I'm, I'm going with it. Do you have Milwaukee artists here in the collection? Are you looking into adding more to the 365 Museum? Well, there's always more room for hip-hop records, cassettes, always more room. Yes, I do have some Milwaukee artists. I have King Kamanzi, Jay Billa, The High Priest, Cuckoo Cal, to name a few. But I have a lot, an extensive collection too, and I'm still building that as I am getting and always asking for donations, especially Milwaukee hip hop, because that's kind of rare to get. And you mentioned this a little bit, but what's next for Antonia's 365 Hip Hop Museum? Well, the museum is not just like for me. We don't have a hip hop museum in Milwaukee, so I'm looking forward to bringing the majority of people into this space so we can create a larger museum for positive interactions in Milwaukee. We need to recognize the hip hop folks, you know. When it's Black History Month, when it's Black Music Month, we'll have somewhere where we can go and we can celebrate that as opposed to we have to go to Chicago or we have to go to um, wherever else we have to go to get this information. Because there are other hip-hop museums, but they're kind of far and few. So I just wanted to bring something special to, to Milwaukee that everybody can be a part of. Also, donations are always welcome, and input is always welcome as well because you know, I can't do it all by myself. I could use some input from the community. I'll say um, I'm going to be out in the community more, doing more pop-ups, um, working with the after-school programs, possibly even going into the colleges with displays and whatever, and just having these conversations so we can continue to remember, you know, the foundations of hip-hop, 
what started hip hop. And regardless of what music we're listening to now, just remember to just try to stay positive with hip hop. With the extensive collection that you have, do you envision ever buying a building or having a space outside of your apartment walls? Most definitely. I will have a building. Also want a mobile museum where I can travel in it to different places, but most definitely a building and then a mobile and also putting it on virtual, virtual online for learning. Thank you so much, Antonia, for welcoming me into the space and talking about Antonia's 365 Hip Hop Museum. Thank you so much. And thank you, Mallory. And you feel free to come back and bring some of your friends. And, you know, we can sit in this space and have a good time. We can drink some tea. We can drink some water. We can, you know, play some music. You're welcome to come back. Antonia Anderson is the founder and CEO of Antonia's 365 Hip Hop Museum in Milwaukee. She spoke with Lake Effect's Mallory Chang last summer. We want to hear your story ideas for Lake Effect. If you have an idea for an interview or a conversation you'd like to hear on the show, give our Community Connection Line a call. That number is 414-251-8970. Don't forget, you can also submit your ideas at wuwm.com slash lakeeffect. We'll take one more break and then return with some music and a chat with Raina for the latest episode of our new music series, Live at Lake Effect. Keep listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is Like Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Live at Lake Effect is our new music series featuring local and nationally touring artists performing in the Lake Effect Surf Shop in Shorewood. We brought the Lake Effects together, along with Visionary Studios, to showcase musicians once a month, starting with an interview with the band airing exclusively on Lake Effect. Today we have Milwaukee's own Reina, made up of sisters Vic and Gabby Banuelos. The duo is known for their electropop sound, but today we have the pleasure of an acoustic set in the Lake Effect Surf Shop. Here they are performing a cover of Siveo a Tu Mama by Bad Bunny. Here's Vic introducing the song. This is our last song. It's a cover by one of our favorite artists in the last two years, Bad Bunny. El Conejo Malo. Whoever doesn't know Bad Bunny has probably been living under a rock. Um, but yeah, I, I love him because he's brought Spanish into... The mainstream world and it's made us comfortable putting Spanish into our music so it means a lot that we're as a culture and you know people we're we're in the in the mainstream now yeah. so this one's called what? <laughs> which means if I see your mom it literally it says like if I see your mom on the street I'm going to ask her how you're doing to see if you're still happy without me that's what the song says <laughs> Which I love. It's a great song. Here it goes. Todavía yo te quiero Pero sé que es un error 
Porque ya tú no me quieres Y sin ti me va mejor Y si veo a tu mamá Yo le pregunto por ti Para ver si ya tienes a alguien Alguien que te haga feliz que estoy arrebatado Pensando en todas las veces que estuve para ti Pensando en todas las veces que estuve para ti para ti No sé por qué diablos me engaño Diciendo que te olvide cuando te extraño Solo comparto memes, yo ya no escribo nada Y no borro tu foto, solo la puse en privada Maldito año nuevo, y lo que me trajo Me botaron el trabajo, por estar mirando para abajo Pensando en ti, no me cae bajo, me veo gordito, nada que rebajo No conocí a alguien, pero no sé, nunca encajo Al menos que seas tú Baby, te quiero aunque diga lo contrario Llevo seis meses solitario Pero hoy salí con los muchachos a beber Y dije que de ti no iba a hablar Son las cinco y ya va a amanecer Si no prenden la voy a llamar Hoy salí con los muchachos a beber Dije que de ti no iba a hablar Son las cinco y ya va a amanecer Si no prende la voy a llamar Todavía yo te quiero Pero sé que es un error Porque ya tú no me quieres Y sin ti me va mejor Y si veo a tu mamá yo le pregunto por ti, para ver si ya tienes a alguien, alguien que te haga feliz. Hi, this is Audrey Nowakowski from Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. We're here at the Lake Effect Surf Shop in Shorewood, along with Milwaukee musician Trapper Shep, who's co-producing a new music series with me called Live at Lake Effect. Hey, Trapper, how's it going? I am so excited to have Reina here at the surf shop, hearing their blood harmonies, seeing them interact with each other. I have played music with my brother for 15 years, and it's nice to see see the inner workings of another uh, sibling group. So start by telling me about that. How's, how's it going? It's going really well, right? Being sisters, great. <laughs> yeah, Being you two getting along? I was like just thinking, I love what you said, blood harmonies. Yes. I had never heard that before. Yeah, it's, it's kind of an old uh, country music term and uh, bluegrass really like folk that. for because so many of those uh, groups were family groups. And I just don't think it's possible to do what you two are doing by subbing out. You can't, you can't uh, substitute for that family yeah, harmony. We, really we need each other for sure. Yeah. So you're getting along, you're singing <laughs> along together mm -hmm. brilliantly. Have you just been putting out new music or what, what uh, got you through the pandemic? Well, we just put out a new, our first EP as Reina, like full 
one EP. Official. Called, yes. You could at least say goodbye, which we are very happy proud and of. proud of. Um, because it's basically a concept album about a breakup, like the stages of a breakup. And, you know, like everything from the art to the um, music videos, they it all goes together. It's all like its own little world, and we're very proud of that. We also produced most of it in our room during the pandemic and most of the stuff that we recorded on our computer is on the album yeah so that this was like the first time that we actually had the the opportunity to do that because of covid i think we we had the time and the necessity to do it and then we brought in brad hale from the band now now he's from minneapolis great guy great musician and producer and i feel like We went into the studio with him and it wasn't to like make songs. It was just to make these songs better. So I think that's why the album sounds so big because we actually had the time to just like enhance it instead of like make it, making it from scratch and like having the pressure of being in the studio and all that. Speaking of enhancing songs, uh, you played acoustic versions of some of your songs for us today in the surf shop. And those are fantastic, but it's obviously a lot different from the electric pop version that comes out. So how is playing with your songs again in, a, in an acoustic way, how has that impacted how you see your work or play around with it second go around? I mean, for me, I am a bass player, so I had to learn to play the guitar. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like getting better and more confident with playing it. Um, but I think um, an acoustic version just always allows the song to shine more. Like you can pay more attention to like the what you're saying and the feeling like the core feeling of a song which I really really am into um even when I sing like when we do acoustic shows I get more into it emotionally like it just makes me feel the song a lot more than when I'm doing a full band show yeah th there's um something that I always remember from our orchestra teacher back in middle school she said it's really easy to be loud and sound good loud <laughs> it's really hard to sound small and soft and I think that's something that we've learned with the acoustics that you know it's it's very intimate and it's you have to play every note right because you're very naked out there so it's, I think it's it's made us better musicians and we interpret the songs better acoustic I believe Speaking of loud, I saw y'all play very loudly, like two guitar rock show at Cactus Club 10 years ago, mm -hmm. and it knocked my socks off. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is something really special. And at the time, y'all were going uh, by the name Vic and Gab. And then eventually you transitioned to more of an electro pop sound under the name Reina. So can you, uh, for the non-Spanish listeners, explain the origins of the uh, new name? Well, we wanted something that represented our culture, you know, we, um, and we also wanted something that meant something because when we came up with the name Vic and Gab, we booked a show just because we were like, we want to be in a band, we love to play music, like, let's just do it. And um, they asked us, what's your band name? And we were like, what we don't have one <laughs> so we were we just said Bick and gab those are our names that's what our parents call us 10 second name yes band. and then we were stuck with that for a long time and we didn't really like it and so when we had a chance like 
to do it all over again. We really wanted it to mean something. And reina means queen in Spanish. It's just like a strong woman. And I feel like Vic and I were brought up by very strong women. And one of the people who like forced us to sing, literally forced us to sing when we were little was our grandmother. And she's like the biggest queen I've ever met. <laughs> um, speaking of two queens, Tegan and Sarah come to mind. And uh, when I when I first saw y'all two, Vic and Gab, Tegan and Sarah, yes. it I could see that connection a bit in a, in a really cool way. And I know they're an artist that you've looked up to. And uh, can you talk about how they've inspired your work? Damn, I mean, where do we start, right? It's um, the connection with Tegan and Sarah is more than just music, too. You know, I think they were such a cultural shock for people that needed a connection to being gay and being lesbian. I feel like they were comforting mm -hmm. to, like, probably 99.9% of my friends, you know, when, when you're coming out, like, where do you gravitate to? So there's that aspect. And then musically, I think that, you know, the con, for example, living room, like those songs are just so iconic and they shaped us, inspired us musically. Of course, I don't want to say that we wanted to be like them, but why I not? <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> but they were definitely a huge part of, us making music like we see two girls that are probably are, they are as um, tall as we are and they're just taking over the world you know and and making the music that they want to be making that's pretty you know fantastic have, so have they heard of y'all have they heard of us yeah they have i mean we somehow they are following us on twitter and it's been a while and i think they liked my tweet yesterday well, so every, every time i get that notification tina and sarah like your tweet i'm like Awesome. Life effect. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> yeah. And then um, in 2010 or 2011, uh, there was a contest with Tegan and Sarah. And you were going to send in a like mugshot. And there were, it's 300 pictures. And they picked 75. So I got picked and Gab didn't. This is an epic <laughs> fight. Wait, I need to say something. This is an epic fight between us because, you know, like when you take really good pictures of people and then they take really bad pictures of you. Mm. That's what she did. <laughs> I took this I and like, I styled her. her. I, I made this like, she looked super cool in it. And then she just took like a whatever picture of me. She didn't help me. Like I was like, should I do this? No, no, no tips whatsoever. And of course she got picked and I did it. <laughs> so I, I got picked and I was able to be in the studio when they filmed um, Get Along. Wow. So I was in the studio with them for like six, seven hours and I saw them, you know, record all of that and I shook their hand and they gave me a, ba a power bar and a smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you're in the DVD at the I'm end. I'm in the DVD it. and they asked me like what Tegan and Sarah means to me and I think I said the same thing. I made the same hand gesture that right now that you asked me because it's just like they're just that important to us. Well, and speaking of just kind of forming kind of your new path forward, moving past Vic and Gab, coming into Reina. Also, uh, before the Bad Bunny cover you guys did, which was amazing, you also talked about how he helped you feel more comfortable bringing Spanish to the forefront, Spanish culture, Latino culture. Are you also having more fun experimenting with that, not just in your music, but also like I'm thinking of the visuals of your music videos and all these other elements that come together. Looking back on when you started as Vic and Gab to now as Reina, how comfortable or what's your mission going for to incorporate and put your culture as a forefront, not just 
as a, a, a footnote. Yeah, I think in the beginning, I feel like we were afraid of being, um, you know, put into like this like box of, oh, they're Latinas. Mm -hmm. But it's like, that's what we are. It doesn't matter if we are upfront about it or not. It's like our face, you know, it's who we are. And I think it's better to just own it. And if you're like really yourself, I think people relate to that. And for example, me with Selena growing up, she's from Texas. She grew up in Texas, but she's Mexican. Same as me. To me, she was like an idol. Like, I want to be just like Selena. And if I can do that to other like, you know, girls that are like me that are Mexican-American or Mexican or Puerto Rican, any Latina out there, I think that that is needed. Like you need someone to look up to, to be like, oh, look, she looks like me and she's out there playing songs on NPR, <laughs> you know, like anyone can do it. Yeah, I, I think that we we have never felt this comfortable being ourselves. And I think it also comes with age and, you know, just like growing into who you really are. I mean, when, when you're 19, like who really are you? Like you don't even know. Um, so I, I feel like we're going to keep putting music out that is going to be us to the core. And um, if that's if that means that we only make Span like Spanish music, like that's not going to happen because we're bilingual. <laughs> like Spanglish. We're Spanglish sure. in the house <laughs> and everything. But um, yeah, it's it's just like who we are now and we're proud of it. And it just comes out naturally. And it just works for the songs and it works for our... I think it was the missing link to our music because when we talk to each other, we talk to each other in English and in Spanish. And like now we can say those things in our songs and it just it just feels right. It's like sharing that sibling relationship yes. with your audience, too. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, Reyna, thank you so much for joining us today at the Lake Effect Surf Shop for Live at Lake Effect and for sharing your music. It was so awesome to have you here and hear your music. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for we having us it. and have doing so much this. Fun. Milwaukee is proud to have you, so stick around. We love Milwaukee. <laughs> yes. Thank you, guys. That was Reyna joining us for Live at Lake Effect. Be sure to head to wuwm.com and our YouTube and social media channels to see them performing three original songs in the Lake Effect Surf Shop. That video was done by Visionary Studios. Milwaukee musician Trapper Shep and myself are the executive producers of Live at Lake Effect. Sound engineering is done by WUWM's Jason Reby. New episodes of Live at Lake Effect will be released monthly, and be sure to check out our past episodes featuring Rhett Miller and Dead Horses if you haven't already. And that's Lake Effect for today. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. If you've missed any of today's conversations or you'd like to take Lake Effect on the go, download our podcast. Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to listen to all of our shows on demand. Tomorrow on Lake Effect, we'll examine police community relations in Kenosha three years after Jacob Blake was shot in the back by a police officer, leading to protests. Plus, we'll explore Wisconsin's many caves. That's tomorrow at noon on Lake Effect, right here on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR.